is an Odyssey original. This is a special edition of KNX In-Depth, former President Trump in federal court. I'm Rob Archer. And I'm Charles Feldman. Continuing our coverage of former President Trump's federal court appearance in Miami. He has now left the court. He pleaded not guilty to all 37 charges in connection with possessing documents the government says are classified. With us in studio are Rachel Fizet, local defense attorney who has extensive experience dealing with federal cases. Also joining us is Nima Romani, who is a former federal prosecutor and president of West Coast Trial Lawyers. Welcome, all of you. Let, let me start uh, with uh, you, Nima, and then uh, uh, Rachel, and then we are going to, we're planning to go to Miami, and we have some other interesting guests who are going to be joining us. We're personally us. going to Miami, Charles? <laughs> no, we're going to stay here, Oh, okay, metaphorically, got <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, <laughs> well, we saved the airfare that way. Uh, what's your take on, and, and again, I know we've been all saying historic this, historic that, and yes, it is a historic day, we'll get that off the table. Uh, what's your impression otherwise about what has gone down today in terms of where we are now, what point we are now in American history. Let's start with Rachel first and then Nima. We are in uh, we are in a place where we have a very strong indictment, at least on the face of it. We have real evidence of a president's knowingly committing crimes. We have a recording of it. We have direct witness evidence. And we have a president who is going to a former president who is going to run for president again and that is going to continually try to degrade the legal system of the country he once ran and hopes to run again through his own defense of 37 charges against him. Yeah, you know, law and politics rarely intersect like this, but we're really seeing a historic moment. Um, you know, I put more than a thousand people in federal prison, and I can't recall one indictment where I had actually pictures in the indictment or I asked the American <laughs> people to review the indictment. I mean, we know this charging document is as much for Donald Trump and his lawyers as it is for the public at large. So, you know, it's. It's just fascinating to watch, and I can't wait to see what motions Trump and his defense team are going to bring. Uh, I've asked this question, and I'm going to ask it again because I like it, uh, but also because <laughs> I think it's important. Uh, we think back to Richard Nixon and uh, President Ford pardoning Nixon, uh, part of the argument being that the country could not stand, uh, would not be able to take, would not be able to survive seeing a former president put on trial uh, but in this case, given the charges here, and not just these, but also the January 6th, the uh, interfering of the Georgia election uh, case, and, and maybe to a lesser extent the criminal charges over the hush money payments to a porn star, could the country afford, can our justice system survive if we have evidence like this and we do not pursue charges against a former president and put him on trial if and when it comes to that? The country cannot survive treating one person differently than the re than they would treat the rest of the society. And it would also show weakness in our own justice system and our in our own enforcement of laws if they concede that they don't need to prosecute Donald Trump because they're afraid of his supporters or because of what he's going to say. So 
all of these things need to be heard and the and the American public should stay informed and they should read these indictments and consider the evidence. But, but let me ask you something, because uh, and that's something that keeps coming up here. Uh, you know, the government says that uh, the law, you know, everyone has to be equal before the law. Jack Smith pretty much said that. Uh, the other day when he did a very short uh, news conference after the indictment was unsealed, that, that it equal justice for all. But there are an awful lot of people in this country who would argue that that has never been the case, that justice has never been equal for all, that if you're in certain minority groups, if you're in certain economic, socioeconomic groups, that justice has not been the same. Sure, there are examples here and there of people who are in the so-called establishment or in the, the, you know, the ruling class, if you want to call it that, who have ended up in court and maybe even ended up in prison. But for the most part, you have people who would argue that it's a fallacy that justice is the same for all. And that what we're seeing with Donald Trump, if it shows that that's the case, so be it. Justice is not equal for all. I, I certainly would not advocate that position. I do not think that's what's going on. I think that not many people are president. And the crimes that he is being charged with are directly related to his abuse of power in an elite position. And that is where the DOJ is seeking justice. It's almost like Donald Trump had to commit the most crimes at the highest position to finally be charged and held accountable for the abuse of power at that level. He hasn't been charged with tax evasion. I, I mean, I think they have probably let a lot slide on Donald Trump. And at this point, it's so obvious they cannot let it slide any longer. But no, justice is not equal. All right. I uh, want to thank our uh, in-studio guests with us today, uh, Rachel Fazay, local defense attorney. She's uh, got a lot of experience with federal cases. Nima Romani, a federal, uh, a former federal prosecutor and president of West Coast Trial Lawyers, I want to point out now that uh, uh, Donald Trump has left the courthouse in Miami, is headed back to the airport, so we're told, and uh, is going to be giving some kind of uh, address and announcement uh, later on tonight from, from Bedminster in yeah. uh, New Jersey, and we'll follow that. But now we are going to go to uh, Miami and talk with Naomi Feinstein, who's a staff writer for Miami New Times. She's been outside the courthouse all morning and afternoon covering the uh, crowd. Naomi, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Give us a bit of a scene, Cedric, because there was so much concern, as you know, about what would happen in front or near the courthouse because of the various groups on social media saying that we're going to go down, we're going to protest, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. What ended up happening there at the courthouse in Miami? Yeah, so I've been out here. I'm actually still here. I've been out here since around 730 this morning. Um not a huge crowd, as some had expected. Um, I, I would guess media likely outnumbered the, the crowd. Um, I was also expecting kind of um, Proud Boy protests. I didn't see any of those. Kind of what I saw was a lot of, again, pro-Trump supporters. Them are saying that this is a witch hunt. If they're prosecuting um, Trump, they should, they should go after Biden, Clinton, um, Hillary, uh, yeah, Hillary and Bill Clinton, kind of the same old conversation that's been going on. Um, but yeah, I mean, a lot calmer than I expected, honestly. 
Um, but yeah, that's kind of what I kind of saw. I saw some interesting characters. I did see a man with a pig head, a live pig head on a stick. Wait, uh-huh. a, a, a pig, an actual pig's uh, head. A pig head on a pike. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, there was some juices leaking off of it. There were some flies. It was definitely at Sweet. one point alive at some point. All right. It was alive at one point. Luke uh, Broadwater, who uh, I would hope to say is still alive and his head is not on a bike, is also uh, there in Miami covering the court appearance with the New York Times. And uh, we were talking about the uh, security uh, situation. You know, the last time uh, there were warnings that, uh, you know, some Trump supporters were talking a bit of violence. Uh, they were going to, and now we're the time to, for warfare, and that was with the last indictment. They were saying the same things about this one to the point that it echoed a lot of January 6th. Trump himself uh, appearing to use the same language and calling for supporters to come out. So, But we haven't seen that, and this is this is twice now. Uh, maybe is the, uh, well, for lack of a better word, bloodlust uh, lessened a bit in your view. And a- after you answer that question, tell us a little bit more about the nuts and bolts of the security that's uh, being there now with these uh, demonstrators from both sides. Sure. Yeah, and I'm looking at that uh, gentleman with the pig's head on the on the spike right now. <laughs> Interesting. I, we talked to him earlier, and he's he's neither for nor against Trump. He's just here uh, for the show. For the pig. Um, but the uh, but yes, there. You know, the Miami police force said before uh, today that they were ready for up to fifty thousand uh, uh, attendees at the at the protest or the rally, whatever you want to call it today. Um, a much smaller amount showed up. I would probably say it was a few thousand people, maybe up, maybe up to five thousand, um, depending at, at its peak um, throughout the course of the day. But the um, but yes, I mean what we saw there were a couple of very small skirmishes, uh, a couple of acts of anger. I saw some people get nose to nose, some of the pro Trump people and anti Trump people a couple of times. But really, there was you know no real mass sense of anger in the crowd or a storming of the building or anything close to that. You know, one thing that was key, I think, there was supposed to be this Proud Boys rally at 10 a.m., and that didn't materialize. That that didn't happen. And, you know, I think that um, w- one message that has gone out in some of the message boards on the far right is that they saw, you know, a thousand people get arrested after January 6th. And some people said, you know, don't go down there and cause any trouble because it's a surefire way to get arrested, right? And so, and some people even think it's a setup to go down to one of these rallies, act out, act violent, right. because the, the feds are just waiting to now, arrest you. Luke, would it, I, I'm guessing this won't surprise you, but uh, uh, we're watching actually now pictures of uh, Mr. Trump, who appears to be at a, uh, I think we're told it's a Cuban sandwich shop uh, somewhere in Miami. Uh, and he's, uh, you know, sort of uh, he's with his Secret Service detail, of course, and shaking hands with the patrons who were in the uh, store. Uh, there's no indication that he's actually ordered anything, and maybe he doesn't have the money to pay for it. I don't know. But he hasn't. He doesn't seem to have ordered any food yeah. at the sandwich shop. No, we, we have a reporter staked out there because we heard he was going to go there afterwards. Obviously, uh, former President Trump has a ton of supporters in the Cuban community. Uh, you know, Miami has uh, shifted more to the right in recent years and um, has, has been a big benefit to him in Florida. Um, you know, and he, this crowd that came out today was, I think, probably about 80 to 90 percent for Trump, only maybe about 10, 15 percent anti-Trump. 
And so he had a lot of support here today. People were chanting, we want Trump. All the flags are about Save America, Trump 2024. They want him to run again. And so I think he'd like to show a strength uh, going to that sandwich shop around supporters and being greeted as basically a hero who is fighting the deep state in the view of his supporters that, you know, it's, it's them against the government. It's them against the feds. Wait, 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 against wait, wait, Garland and Jack Smith. So they, they view this as very much um, almost like a team sport where they're on Trump's team and the government's on the other well, side. Which y- you is know, Luke, wait, wait, wait. a crazy way to look at things, but that that was the sentiment I heard from many people I talked to, that this was like rooting for, for your favorite right. college football team. What they're doing today. <laughs> What's interesting uh, here, because you mentioned that you already knew uh, that uh, he was headed to the sandwich shop because you already have a New York Times reporter there, one of your colleagues, at the shop. So that, that only goes to show, from Trump's point of view, what a show in his mind this all is, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, he called for the crowds to come today. Mm. You know, he probably would have liked many, many more people to come. Um, you know, I think the crowds might have been underwhelming for what he wanted, you know, especially earlier in the day. It was like, you know, hundreds of media people here for like one Trump supporter. But they grew throughout the day and they started numbering the hundreds. And then I think maybe into the low thousands. And uh, he wanted to he wanted to put on a show here to show that he's beloved by the people and that they're aligned with him against what he views as unfair, unfair charges. All right, uh, Luke uh, Broadwater, congressional reporter for the New York Times in Miami, covering the court appearance. Also, uh, Naomi uh, Feinstein, staff writer for the Miami New Times outside the courthouse all morning is uh, in-depth. We'll continue our special edition of the arraignment of Donald Trump. You're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth, former President Trump in federal court today with Rob Archer. I'm Charles Feldman. And we have our in-studio guests, uh, legal analysts and attorneys, Rachel Fizay and uh, Nima Romani. Right now, though, it's hard to separate, as we've been discussing uh, this morning, the federal charges and the 2024 election politics, especially since former President Trump is currently the Republican frontrunner. John Ellis is a longtime political analyst and founder of uh, News Items and Political News Items. How are you doing, John? Very well, thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. So, uh, you know, you, it's interesting you mentioned the word show when we were just talking about Mr. Trump left, having left the federal court, went right to a Cuban sandwich shop in Miami. Apparently, this was all pre-planned because reporters were already set up with cameras uh, to, to see his arrival where he was shaking hands, although I didn't notice that he bought any sandwiches. But that said, uh, this is, from his point of view, clearly a show, clearly about politics. He said as much. How does the public, do you think, view this, especially his supporters and maybe more importantly, maybe his non-supporters in the Republican Party, if there are any? Uh, I, th- I think for most people, it's not really a story. Um, I was at a Walmart uh, yesterday and uh, no one was talking about it there. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think for most people, it's just more you know, uh, waves were, were crashing over them and they gotten so used to Trump being in trouble that it's not, it's not really a big deal. It's obviously a huge deal in media circles and it's a huge deal, obviously, uh, with Trump's quote base and quote, 
Um, and I think if anything, like everyone else thinks that that uh, that this will energize his support among uh, his core supporters, you know, it'll make them even more committed to him with Republicans who were, you know, uh, on the fence about Trump or who actively dislike him. Um, I think, you know, it goes two ways. I think, uh, one, they think the charges are serious. And two, they think that uh, it's a double standard that the Biden family should be investigated with the zeal that the Trump family has been investigated. So I, I don't know. I think it's a wash, probably. Um, I was a little kid when uh, the Watergate thing was uh, going on. I was raised by my grandparents at the time who were extremely, extremely Republican. Uh, they were huge supporters of Richard Nixon. He was uh, probably echoing some of the language you've heard today. He was the savior of the country. He's going to save the country from uh, the Reds, uh, save it from the hippies, uh, save it from the people who didn't want to go fight in uh, Vietnam. And when the Watergate thing first started breaking, I still recall kind of a silence falling over their support as more details came out as the case began to drag on. Their support for him dried up. They did not become Democrats, but they no longer supported Mr. Nixon. And by the time that he had resigned, the attitude I seem to recall from them was, well, good riddance, let's move on. Uh, Are we ever going to get to that point with Donald Trump? He is unprecedented, and his supporters seem to be more rapidly holding on to him than they did Mr. Nixon. But even Mr. Nixon's supporters eventually jumped ship. Yeah, I think the Nixon, uh, you know, analogy is a good one. Um, when Nixon uh, finally faced the music after the after the uh, the tape, the final tapes were were made public. The Republican leadership in Congress went up and said, uh, "Mr. President, it's time to resign. You've lost the support of the country. You've lost support of the party." Uh, and you have to resign. And Nixon, you know, um, Nixon went along. He he did, in fact, resign. No one in the Republican Party is going to Trump uh, in any position of leadership. They're either staying quiet or they're supporting him, saying the Justice Department has weaponized, you know, uh, this case and so on and so forth. Um, so until we see Republican office holders, uh, that are not named uh, Chris Christie or Republican elected officials by the prior or current who say you, it's time for you to step aside. A, Trump probably won't pay attention to them, obviously, but B, the fact that we haven't seen that, in fact, the response to this has been basically supportive of Trump, gives you some idea of his hold on the voters uh, who vote in Republican primaries. You know, uh, Rachel and Nima here in the studio with us, uh, John said something interesting in in the very beginning about that he was at, uh, I think he said, was it a Walmart? I think, John, Walmart, right? Yeah. 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 And, and nobody was really talking about it. I mean, could it be, could it be that, you know, we're in, you know, you guys are lawyers, uh, we're uh, in media, uh, John is a political analyst. Could it be that, what is a story for all of us perhaps really isn't to the average person, Anima? Oh, it's very possible. And obviously, you know, there are folks in the Republican Party and just conservatives in this country who believe that Donald Trump is being treated unfairly. I mean, they consistently talk about Mike Pence. They talk about Joe Biden and others who may have mislead 
handle classified documents. Obviously, we lawyers would say it's very different. You know, Trump ignored the National Archives for more than a year, tried to obstruct and impede a grand jury subpoena requiring an unprecedented search warrant. But, I mean, it's an issue. One thing I'll say is the reason I think that this country is so different from Watergate and Nixon is, you know, social media. I mean, we're here on KNX. We're getting sort of mainstream news. But there are folks on the fringes that are getting their news from non-reputable sources, and they're going to believe that this is a conspiracy in the deep state and all the sort of nonsense that um, we hear spouted um, on those news sources. Rachel? It is totally possible, and I think that Trump supporters and even right-leaning news have have ignored uh, discussing lots of the indictment and the facts that are within the indictment. And I think if you ignore it and everybody is who their news source is these days, then it becomes not such a big deal. Or if you compare it and trivialize it to other cases, Mike Pence, Hillary Clinton, Joe Biden, or cases that are are not the same, um, people tend to believe what they hear. So I believe that those you know, it, it is all dependent on where you get your information and how deep you dive into facts and analysis on this kinds of thing, which keeps you interested in what's happening as it relates to all of the Trump things that that one can hear. This one is truly different. All right. Uh, special edition of uh, KNX uh, In-Depth today, talking about the arraignment of former President Trump. Our in-studio guest, Rachel Fazay and Nima Romani with us. Also our uh, guest on the line, John Ellis, longtime political analyst, founder of New Items and Political News Items. You're listening to a special edition of KDX and Death, former President Trump in federal court with Charles Feldman. I'm Rob Archer. And because this is a special edition, we do have two special people with us, prominent L.A. attorneys in studio, Nima uh, Romani, almost forgot his name, Nima Romani, former federal prosecutor. I'm going to say it again just so he gets the yes. plug. Nima Romani, former federal prosecutor as well as, well as defense attorney. Rachel Fizet. And right now, though, security very tight outside and inside uh, the courthouse in Miami, uh, even though Mr. Trump is now uh, reportedly on the way back to the airport. Uh, can local and federal law enforcement do this on a daily basis when there is a trial? Uh, Robert Sanders is a national security expert and professor at the University of New Haven, also a retired Navy Corps JAG captain. Thank you for joining us. Glad to be with you. So let's look ahead and say there are some other, well, there's going to be some other court appearances here, uh, possibly with Mr. Trump in attendance, maybe not. But if this thing does go to trial, this is going to be a vast exercise of security. Now, the Secret Service obviously will be taking part in this. What else is going to be happening and how can uh, authorities ensure the safety of not just Mr. Trump and the and the lawyers involved on both sides, but also of the demonstrators and the protesters and the spectators on the outside? So when we have certain events in the United States, they're called national security events. Um, You could think about the NBA events um, that just passed, the World Series, the Super Bowl, New Orleans, Mardi Gras. And that involves national, state, and local law enforcement engaging together to put together a plan. Often the Secret Service is in the lead in those type of events. And I can see this being a quasi-national event in that sense, where we have a major concern for violent extremists in support of the former president, and we have a whole lot of folks on the other side of the table who think uh, he should be in an orange jumpsuit sooner rather than later. 
is it? I mean, walk us through what a, a kind of a, a planning session might be like, especially when you mentioned Secret Service. But most defendants don't have Secret Service protection when they are defendant in a criminal trial. But Mr. Trump does. So who controls the situation, the Secret Service that are responsible by law to protect him or the uh, court marshals or who does what? It's going to be the Secret Service. If it, if it is a deemed to be a national level security event, they're going to be in charge. That's just how the legislation is structured. But they will work hand in hand with the emergency management folks from uh, the locale and state of Florida uh, the the local jurisdiction in the county, Florida, has sheriffs in their counties. Uh, sometimes they also have a, a city police, but they all have county sheriff's departments who will be involved along with the Florida State Police. And the Federal Bureau of Prisons, um, And uh, to an extent, because if he gets convicted, they'll have to take custody of him. But also beyond that is the Federal Marshal Service, which is who's in charge right now of him as a... Uh, arrested and now released individual. So they'll all come together and and figure out what's the requirement for the personal security of Trump and all those involved and the physical security of the area in which these things are going to occur because there may be multiple places that need to be protected. We have some lawyers in the studio with us, so I'm sure they're going to be very interested in this part of the answer. But uh, do you suspect, and, and I'm sure the answer is yes, because we've seen a lot of examples of it, that uh, the special counsel and his team are receiving a lot of threats? Uh, because we have seen uh, members of Congress and candidates and politicians getting a lot of threats in this case. And what uh, what is being done to uh, head those threats off to decide what's important and, and which ones are just crazy people uh, spouting off, and also are the uh, defense people, Mr. Trump's side, also receiving a similar threat so far as you know? Well, to answer the second question first, uh, I, I'm not aware of the defense receiving threats. I haven't heard anything about that, and I think that would be less likely um, than the reverse. Uh, the Prosecutors, uh, the special counsel, uh, the judge, court members, clerks, the, eventually the jury will all have higher levels of protection that are normally uh, involved in these type of things because the threats have already started. Um, we, we, we've already had individuals who have made threats online. Now, I remember the Justice Department is uh, in control under the attorney general of the FBI. And uh, they will um, diligently look at these threats uh, and try to provide the highest level of security to all those involved. Now, the, the federal judges also have a security service that, that will be working uh, to protect the court and uh, those participating, as well as all the other people I, and entities and agencies I just named. Nima and uh, Rachel, I'm curious, both of you guys have been in your share of courtrooms. Would you feel comfortable, uncomfortable being in a courthouse with this sort of activity that is going to be going on with the kind of security that Robert was just uh, talking about? I feel very comfortable. I mean, this is a federal justice system. It's used to prosecuting the mob. You know, I prosecuted drug and human trafficking cases, you know, international and domestic terrorists. And let's not forget a federal court recently tried 
El Chapo Guzman, the most dangerous man in the world who famously escaped from Mexican prison twice. So I'm very comfortable with planning and contingency plans in place for the Southern District of Florida to handle the United States versus Trump. I agree. The Secret Service have plans that are classified. They have top secret information on how to protect the courtroom and how to protect the ex-president. And it is the, that secret classified information in how they do things uh, that, that should add actually just an additional extra layer of safety for everybody inside that courthouse now. Uh, Robert, how hard would it be for somebody to get inside the court who's not supposed to be there? If there's well, a trial, a, 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 ded, a dedicated individual who has no thought about their own personal safety is always your worst danger. Um, that so-called lone wolf individual who plans a suicide attack is always the thing that you fear the most because they don't necessarily put out a lot of information about what they're going to do in channels that can be monitored so you can prepare for them. It takes diligence of citizens who see them, know them, watch them, are concerned about them to provide information to folks. One other thing we didn't discuss is because this is a case where there's top secret information involved, there's a whole piece of structure that needs to be set up to handle the information. All of these documents that we talked about range from top secret to um, special department, uh, compartmental information that needs to be held in secure locations. The people who see that need to have security clearances and be vetted. But that, that, raises, but that raises a very interesting question, uh, whether or not, and, and guys, uh, our lawyers in the studio, feel free if you want to jump in on this one. Uh, is it possible that uh, the judge in this case could decide that some of this material cannot be viewed by the lawyers because they don't have the necessary clearance? Or could the intelligence agencies themselves say, sorry, this stuff is just too top secret. It cannot be disclosed in a court of law. And that could wipe out some of the evidence, right? Well, generally, it's well established that jurors need to establish every element of the offense. And here we're talking about the Espionage Act. It doesn't necessarily have to be classified material, but it has to relate to the national defense. That's a standard under the law. So this is something a judge can't decide. A jury has to decide. This is the U.S. Supreme Court case of Apprendi. So if Trump wants to make things difficult, wants to challenge that particular element of the offense, then that's something that's going to have to go to the jury. Yeah, one other piece of that is that in order to ever get to these documents, everyone's going to have to be cleared up front, including the judge. So that's going to happen because this is a national security case. Wait, uh, the jury too? The jury will be interviewed, background checked. Um, they may not ever see the actual documents. They will likely only see summaries of what the documents are. Counsel for the defense and of course the prosecutors will see more than likely the actual documents inside that special compartmentalized information facility. Uh, Trump may also be allowed in there to see those as well to assist his counsel. 
hasn't he already seen them? They've been in his bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> well, that 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 that's proven innocent until proven guilty. All right, okay, is, you know, right. Handling this stuff and did things with it. At one point, sixty-four boxes left the storage area of Mr. Nada, and the thirty came back. So yeah. something happened. All right. Well, maybe Mr. Nada has seen them. Uh, we don't know. We'll find out. But thank you, uh, Robert uh, Sanders, National Security Expert Professor at the uh, Professor at the University of New Haven, also retired a Navy Corps JAG captain. This is a special edition of KNX in Depth. The arraignment of Donald Trump. Donald Trump in federal court today is on his way back to the airport. Now the plane is uh, almost ready to go. Going to be taken off shortly. You're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth, former President Trump in federal court, former President Trump pleading not guilty to 37 charges against him. With Rob Archer, I'm Charles Felton. And we are still in the very same room, by uh, joined with our uh, legal analyst and prominent L.A.-based attorneys, Rachel Vizay and Nima Romani. The big question ahead of the Republican presidential primaries next year is how will this criminal case, the one in New York and maybe others, impact former President Trump's support? Tim Rosales is a Republican strategist. Tim, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, what do you think? I mean, you know, the poll numbers over the weekend, the last poll I saw after the indictment was uh, unsealed on Friday, did show among his supporters uh, no indication that he was losing support. What do you think is going to happen in the future? Well, what's what's good in a primary election for Republicans or Democrats, for that matter, may not necessarily be the best thing for a general election when you're trying to win independent and swing voters. So I think that what we'd expect is that uh, uh, President Trump's support uh, in his Republican base will galvanize. Uh, I don't think it's going anywhere. I think it's pretty locked in. Uh, the big question that Republican voters need to think about uh, in that support is whether or not President Trump can actually win a general election again. And with these kind of uh, uh, this indictment and and other things hanging over his head, uh, he may not be and and probably isn't the best candidate uh, in a general election. But um, you know that's something that uh, Republican voters sometimes get very stubborn about. You know, to that point, I think a crowd of 100 people can make noise. That same crowd of 100 people can make louder noise if they're motivated to do so. But at the end of the day, it's still 100 people. You're counting 100 heads. Is that going to be the situation here? Is that in the media, it certainly sounds like Donald Trump has more support, uh, more vocal support. But that's not really going to redound to uh, uh, an election, maybe not even a primary election. Do you think as this case drags on? Well, we'll see in terms of of how this case plays out and and, and what comes out. Um, I think that, you know, the big question is in a general election, what do you have to do is you have to convince people who don't necessarily support you or who may have their minds open uh, that you are the better candidate uh, over, in this case, President Joe Biden. Uh, and and right now it's it looks like the lesser of two evils and and I know that voters say that oftentimes uh, but you know in this case we're t- we're talking about uh, you know two two candidates uh, for for the highest office uh, potentially who could face each other who could also be facing uh, potentially criminal charges uh, each of them uh, given the, the the what's come to light regarding President Biden uh, so you have a very very unique situation here and uh, as a as a as a strategist looking at this, it you know the big question you have to ask is how can you earn those votes that you don't have? It becomes a math equation, and I just don't know what President Trump's pathway to victory in a general election is. Certainly, he can get there in a primary. 
Are, are, is this country at, at one of those political inflection points that have happened from time to time in this country's history when we really need a, a new, uh, really strong political party, uh, a, a home for Republicans? You're a Republican, right? A home yes. for a Republican who is not a Trump supporter, but who still adheres to, you know, Republican conservative ideology, uh, but doesn't want to align themselves with Donald Trump. So what I'm getting at is, does there need to be a, a Trump party now? Uh, and maybe there is in a way. And something that's not called the Republican Party anymore, but is called something else. Well, I think you bring up a good point. You know, the success of something like that, I think, is questionable, uh, just looking at the past history of, of party politics. But you have that going on in both sides, right? You have the kind of the woke left uh, that has uh, kind of co-opted the Democratic Party. You've got kind of the, the, the Trumpers who have co-opted the Republican Party. You know, can the ideologies uh, of those parties, you know, their foundations uh, sustain and and still you know make them a cohesive you know make them two cohesive political parties uh, even though they've got those factions within those parties you know that is that that's an unknown question right now I think both of them are struggling with that uh, and you see a lot of voters who are in the middle uh, expressing the same thoughts that you did which is gosh really there isn't a home for me either in the Republican or Democratic parties. Uh, Nikki Haley, uh, uh, kind of doing a pivot here and uh, going from uh, supporting Donald Trump in these uh, charges to saying that the charges are serious and uh, couching in the terms of the danger that if these charges are true, that it poses to uh, people who are deploying military uh, people are are people uh, in uniform as well as our spies and operatives overseas puts putting their lives in danger. Is that a message that might resonate with some of the Republicans who are beginning to get tired of Donald Trump, but they're looking for an ideological something to hang their head on? And could it be the danger posed to our troops? Well, I think I think Nikki Haley makes an excellent point. And I think that what she has to do and other candidates have to do is carve out their own lane where they think that there are a substantial amount of voters, uh, you know, particularly in this in this primary race. And so what she's trying to do, I think, is you know, is is carve out that lane and identify herself with someone who is not necessarily supportive of President Trump, who has some questions about the the, the charges and indictment, uh, but is looking at the future in a positive way and, say, and saying, "Hey, look, despite what you may think of where, what the merit of these charges uh, and and this indictment, we need to look at the future." And and that's the lane that she's trying to carve out. I think that it's it's smart. Uh, other candidates are going to have to do the same because they will have to do something to differentiate themselves. Uh, and uh, you know, from President Trump, who's very good at occupying all the air in the room. All right, uh, that is Republican strategist Tim Rosales on this very special edition of KNX in Death, and we will continue covering the arraignment. And, and we're going to kind of wrap it up yeah. in a in a nice bow. A nice, bow a nice bow out of this? Yeah, we've got to make it a nice bow at the end. Well, I'm curious to see if you can do that, Charles. I bet you I can't. All right. We'll, <laughs> we'll see if Charles can pull that one out of his hat coming up on KNX In-Depth. You're listening to a special edition of KNX In-Depth on this historic day. Former President Trump in federal court. I'm Rob Archer along with Charles Feldman. Charles, before the break, promised us that uh, wrap it up. he would wrap this up. In a nice bow. In a nice bow. But I'm gonna, I may not be able to keep that promise. But we are going to try a bow anyway <laughs> to end this. Uh, we are still in studio with uh, former federal prosecutor and president of West Coast 
trial lawyers, Nima Romani and defense attorney Rachel Fizet, who uh, has experience with federal white-collar crime cases. So, guys, this is the big finish <laughs> to uh, our show. But uh, all uh, seriousness, uh, Rachel, let's start with you. And then, uh, Nima, your sort of wrap-up thoughts on... And again, we keep saying historic day, and yes, let's let's just admit it. It's a historic day. There's nothing else we can say about that. Uh, what do you have to say? I would echo Jack Smith's comments here, and that is that it is most important for the country to stay informed, to read the indictment, and really consider the actual facts, and in some way focus on the legal process and the legal process doing its job throughout this indictment, throughout the the proceedings that will follow, and what, what happens next. And as we've discussed, it's literally impossible to divorce the legal process from the politics side and all of the, the political wrangling that we're going to hear. But I think what is most important is just trying to keep it narrow as to the acts and the seriousness of those acts that the former president of the United States is charged with. Charles, I don't want to unwrap your bow, but I really think that this might <laughs> only be Feel free. Beginning. Go ahead. <laughs> well, we know that uh, Trump isn't going to take any type of deal and Jack Smith isn't going to offer one. But you know, I think this is the beginning of the end for the formal president, at least from a legal perspective. Lawyers are risk-averse. Prosecutors are conservative. They don't like to lose, and they don't like to be the first to indict a former president. Now that that door has been blown wide open, you know, Trump may have problems in Atlanta with Fulton County DA Fannie Willis. We all know Jack Smith is also investigating the Capitol riots. So this may be the beginning of the end. And I know folks are talking about Judge Cannon and you know Trump will either win or the jury will hang. But if he's convicted, I was doing some back-of-the-napkin calculations here in studio. He's looking at about four and a half years if he doesn't even take the stand and obstruct justice and perjure himself. So that's a lot of time. You know, setting aside the stat max of 10 and 20 years, we all know that these sentences are decided by the federal sentencing guidelines, and that's a pretty significant potential sentence that he's looking at if he's indeed convicted. Does Donald Trump take the stand? I think he will. I think that's the only way that he can possibly get out of this. And he's frankly someone that can't be controlled by his lawyers, so I think he will. If he's convicted... Big if. If he's convicted, Rachel, does he ever go to prison? I think he goes. If he's convicted and, well, if he's convicted and sentenced to prison, I think he has to go. This is, again, where we have a favorable judge to him, and she may try to work some magic with her sentencing post-conviction. But at that point, I think the country would want to see a sentence. All right. That's our special edition of KNX In-Depth today. Former President Donald Trump in federal court will have another uh, regular edition of In-Depth tomorrow.